We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. Hi, I'm Yui Shu. And I'm Julie Kraftchik. We're active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, hola, ni hao, konnichiwa. I don't know. I just, I just really want to say it in every language. So inclusive, Yue, for everyone. The only ones I know. <laughs> you got to start signing it now. Bonjour. Yeah, there we go. I can pull up a few more in my repertoire. Welcome to another episode here as we talk about dating on a show called Dateable, if you were wondering what you're listening to. Who would ever <gasps> guess? Yue, I'm so excited. First of all, we have a great guest in store, so I'll start with that. We have the remarkable Ken Page, who if mm-hmm. you've been with us for a while, we had Ken back in 2019, if you recall, mm-hmm. and he was such a crowd favorite. And we've had so many new listeners since then that we, the two of us were like, we need to bring it back. So first and foremost, in for a treat today. But also we were featured on Apple Podcasts, Road to Romance on their homepage, along with Ken Page. How serendipitous. Deeper Dating, How his wonderful. podcast was also there right with us. 
They have such good taste over there at the podcast. <laughs> so they really know how to pick them. But they also picked a few that I never heard of. So yeah. maybe it gives us some new listening for the weekend. I was like, ooh, a new competition. Or new guests. We could look at it that way <laughs> as well. We also had like, yeah. You Up was on the list. We've had Jordana mm-hmm. and Jared both on our podcast mm-hmm. as well. I think that was the only other one where we've had the host as guests. So yeah, we need to see who else is interesting from the list. Just when you thought there couldn't be another dating podcast. Oh, here there are. There <laughs> comes a million more every year. And uh, we are still one of the survivors seven plus years later. And we're very proud. We're basically like cockroaches. We will not die on this Oh, platform. my God. Is that our new branding? You are- <laughs> <laughs> we just get like a we t-shirt. <laughs> podcasting cockroaches. We've been around for seven years and we're not going anywhere. I was just at LA Tech Week last week and met a few people. And, uh, you know, I tell people we have I have a podcast and I co-host with my friend and we've been doing it for seven plus years. And when I as soon as I say seven plus years, people start listening because yeah. when you say when you just say you have a podcast. Yeah. Everyone's Everyone like, yeah, does. me too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who doesn't? Right. You have like but then when you listeners. say seven plus years, yes. Yeah. And when you say seven plus years, every, everyone's li- eyes light up and they go, how did you do it? I had like a work offsite for UA and I both have day jobs as well. So we are just superhuman that we do this and that. <laughs> we don't and- sleep. <laughs> so we had an activity and I think most of the people knew I did a podcast, but not maybe everyone. One of the activity icebreakers was like a hobby of yours. So I shared about just like, you know, podcasting, audio producing, all this stuff. And people looked it up and they were just like, oh, you guys are legit. Like that was the response. Because I think it's exactly what you said. Because you look at the reviews and you're like, oh, so another call out to give us a review. So people think we're legit. Yeah, it almost feels a little strange to say, like, we're minimizing what we do when we say we have a podcast. So now I just say, I have a media production company (laughs) that does a podcast and we only do a podcast, but we're expanding. Well, we do have some other media in the works. We do have two podcasts. Let's just say this. We have two podcasts that are part of the brand. Yeah, And we're expanding into other areas. So it's not completely lying. When I oh, say it's not at all. A media production company. We already are doing it. It's just not all public yet. So we'll be cryptic for a little longer. <laughs> Everyone listening is like, shut up, you guys, with all the secrecy. <laughs> They're like, are you pregnant? Like, what's the deal? I still think that was the best when you put up that poll and like those were the response. <laughs> yeah, like we have a big news and yeah, people were like, are you, are you, one of you engaged and one of you is pregnant? And we're like, no, that's not how we would announce that. <laughs> uh, I do want to give a shout out to Rachel who had reached out on Instagram. She's been listening forever. She was so excited to listen to the Ace episode featuring Mm. David and Yasmin. Uh, She says, I was very happy about that because I came out to identify as heteroromantic gray sexual in November of 2019. I was like, damn, I need to learn more. (laughs) I need to learn more of these terms. Well, that's great. This is why I love doing, I mean, every episode we do resonates with someone, but that getting messages like that, especially from topics that may not be as mainstream, that's what keeps us going. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this episode today, I think there's something for everyone in this one. Ken Page is a gem. We'll just start with that. First of all, I feel like his voice is so meditative. So mm-hmm. obviously take in all his words, but just listening to him talk is reason to keep going on this episode in itself. 
such mm-hmm. calming He's a presence. True gift to he really humanity. is. Yes. The minute we met him, it felt like we've been old friends for forever, right? Mm-hmm. He just gives you this feeling of comfort and safety and also compassion. He really, yes. truly listens. But this episode, something that can, I guess, is part of his brand, which is mm-hmm. your core gifts. And if you are a listener of Deeper Dating Podcast, he talks about core gifts quite a bit, but we wanted to make it very actionable for our listeners. What does that mean, having core gifts And how do you use that in dating? What does that even mean? So this is basically the setup for what this episode is about. Yeah, and we're going to go into all of that. But we all have those things. What really struck me with Ken with the core gifts is typically we can like name what's great about us pretty easily, right? For the most part, we all have a few things that are top of mind. But he flips it around to actually the things that you think might be more problematic around you too. I mean, it can be also the things that you know are great about you. I don't want to minimize. It. But for instance, we had this event with Ken over the pandemic when we were doing sounding board, where we'd have guest speakers come in and talk to the group. So it was like you were live, but we were all virtual. So in that world, and Ken did this exercise about core gifts. And I remember thinking like for years, I thought like being sensitive and emotional was really getting in the way of my dating life. And he helped me flip that around to how it could actually be a core gift and asset. So he is such a way about him that can take the best of you, but also the what you perceive is the worst of you and also make it the best of you. We legit got off this call with him. And I said to Julie, should I? Ask Ken to be my therapist. <laughs> you did say that. You did say that. You're like, I wonder what his hourly rate is. <laughs> I think I should switch my therapist. Just saying. I feel like I would tell him all my secrets. He's just that trusting. You so have you ever done this with therapy? Like I've told some therapists before that we do this podcast, but not all. But sometimes I'll like want to reference something I learned from like a famous psychologist or therapist. <laughs> and I'm like, how do I say this in a way that I'm not just like this know-it-all patient? You know, have you ever had that right. happen? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> You're like, nope, I separated. <laughs> No, no. Okay, it's just me. Just me. I don't even know. I can't even remember. I think during couples therapy, it happened like a few times. Like there'd be a a moment that the therapist would say something and it would trigger my memory of someone that said something on this podcast. Oh, okay. I think like, okay, I do remember an example, like the episode we did with like Shirzad. Uh about um, saboteurs and how like what attracts you to your partner originally ends up being some of the things that you find freaking annoying about them later. So I think Mm -hmm. I wanted I wanted to reference that. But I'm just like, how do you frame this? And I've also been like, I want to quote things therapists have said on here because they just drop something real good. Uh, Have you told your therapist that you have this podcast i told one like a personal one so i'm currently therapy free at the moment but i kind of go as needed is more of my take so there was a period i was doing individual therapy and i did share it with that therapist for the couples therapist i did not share it because it just didn't feel relevant as much 
Yeah, not necessary. Have you? It's only shared necessary it? if you think if no, I've never shared it, but I <laughs> never felt like it was necessary. I think if we talked about a relevant topic, I may have, but it just just didn't feel authentic to be like I also study this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess like it really comes down to being authentic, right? Like I think when I did bring yeah. it up, it felt weird not to share it. So it comes yeah. down to that at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> Interesting. <laughs> so the, yeah so we're going to discover your core gifts julie and i sort of went on an exploratory journey to find ours during this episode and you can follow along with us yes and make sure to you know follow us on instagram at dateable podcasts we're going to be you know putting up some videos with ken because we love doing that and sharing some of our guests behind the scenes and just you know that video footage it does change the dynamic a bit so comment on that and tell us your core gifts we'd love to know your core gifts or put them in a review like we mentioned earlier it really does help us it helps us seem reputable not only to random people and coworkers, but to other podcast guests help us get some of those people we talked about getting on the podcast that were also featured on apple podcasts with us help them see that we are a good place for them to get their voices heard just uh, just make us look credible that's all (laughs) (laughs) just making us seem like we know what we're doing okay that's all we're asking you to do Yeah, and we only have one more episode this season. So this is our Mm -hmm. second to last before our season finale. But as you all have been here, if you've been here for a while, if you're new, you might have looked back or you're in for a treat. We always do a really good off season where we interview each other and we do some other fun ways of just, you know, changing up our content a bit. So I really love our off season. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think we should not call it off season anymore because it's like, it's not really off for us. We're still on. It's just we don't have the guests. Yeah. We're still on. So it's a, it's a different on season. Yeah. We'll just call it the on season. Middle season. (laughs) We do take a break though from brunch talk, but that doesn't mean you can't send us the questions. Please do keep them coming. Like we mentioned, we prioritize ones in reviews. But if you want to also send them to our email, hello at Datable Podcast, or DM them to us at Datable Podcast, that's a good way to get them to us too. We make sure to look at all of them and prioritize them according to how they were submitted, but also the type, the amount of times we're hearing this type of question come up. Okay, well, that being said, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor before we dive into it with Ken. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When was the last time you felt like your best self? I can tell you for me, it's when I feel like I'm in control of my life and my actions. But sometimes life gets me bogged down. I feel overwhelmed and I can't show up in the way that I want. Working with a therapist has helped me tremendously in taking control of my life and getting me closer to the best version of myself. I meet with my therapist on a weekly basis and I feel so empowered after each session. I used to think therapy was for when times are bad, but I realize it's very similar to healthy eating. Therapy helps to maintain my mental health and is a way of life. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash dateable today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, that's spelled H-E-L-P dot com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. 
This episode is sponsored by Vaya. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Vaya has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Vaya also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to viahemp.com and use a code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use a code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Okay, let's hear it from Ken Page all about our core gifts. When we're on this journey of finding love, we think about what is standing in our way. And sometimes it could be external factors and sometimes it could be us. There are things that we are doing that is standing in our way. So today we're going to have a conversation about what actually is getting in our way of love and what isn't. And some of those things that we may think have been blockers for us may not actually be the blockers. So we have a fan favorite back. His name is Ken Page, (laughs) one of our favorites as well. He is the host of the Deeper Dating podcast, author of Deeper Dating. The wonderful Ken Page. We just love hearing your voice. It's just so soothing. You should have a meditation app. (laughs) You might want to say hi now because everyone wants to hear your voice. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, there he is. Welcome, Ken. So glad to be here with you. It's, It's a joy to get to be part of your podcast. It's always such a joy to be around you. We were just talking about the last time we had you on the show was season nine, episode six called Deeper Dating with Ken Page. And this was almost four years ago. And we were just, so wild. How does the time fly? You know, it feels like it was only a minute that passed. So that's a good thing. And it's that's true. It's always nice to have you back. Who is Ken? He is 66 years old, lives in Long Beach, New York, originally from New York City, and he is married and he's a psychotherapist. 
So let's talk about what's standing in our way. And when we ask anybody this question, what do you think is getting in our way? People immediately focus on the negatives of themselves. Why do you think that is? Why is it that we're just always going to the negative? Well, you know, I think that that comes from a problem-solving mentality and a quick-fix mentality, which ultimately looks like a really sexy, wonderful journey and ends up in the swamps of self-sabotage. <laughs> so because it's a journey that that is not based on self-honoring. And if our journey is not based on self-honoring, it's going to bite us in the butt. It will ultimately create pain. And interestingly, it will lead us to be attracted to people who are not good for us. Mm. Because the foundation, the way that we're self-organized around our search for love is a self-sabotaging one. And that recreates itself. And in my work in the field over decades, I've kind of seen that again and again and kind of built a map out of that of how people can start with a place of self-organizing based on honoring who they are. Simple, simple, simple. Honoring who you are and looking for people who can do the same and where it's mutual. That's the wise path to love, like in the tiniest, simplest, most powerful form. But dating advice is all about how we have to fix ourselves mm -hmm. and change ourselves and change the way we look change the way that we act. And now with this totally crazy making addition of, but you have to be authentic, <laughs> like which is just, right. you know, completely, completely impossible. So if your goal is love and you're not doing that search based on the real skills of love, and if it's not originating in self-love, you're kind of going to be screwed. Mm. So, you know, so much advice doesn't come from using love as the medium and intimacy as the medium. And that that's why I think like it's such a fixation, like fix this and you'll get what you want. Be yeah. better and you'll get what you want, which is so interesting because that's the definition of a deprivational relationship. If I just fix this, I'll finally get the love that I want from this person. Yes. It applies too to our search for love. I feel like you hit on so many big things in just that last yeah. you know, summary of what you did. You know, mm. this whole aspect of self-improvement, like that we have to better ourselves. I feel like that is set up for, right. you know, failure from the get-go. And then you also talked about how, yes. you know, we kind of morph into the date version of ourselves. We call this like becoming a dating chameleon and, right. you know, sinking in and just doing, being like, okay, this is how I act on a date. This is how I'm supposed to show up. You said it's so simple, but why do we find this so difficult? And like, how do we start to show our authentic selves in a way that is digestible and not just buzzwords. Yes. So what's the map for that? What is really the map for that? And, you know, I've done tons of thinking and tons of teaching about that. And in my intensives, this is what we focus on for half a year is how to do that. But the path is an inside out approach versus an outside in approach. And I'll just say something about like the stages that we need to go through to kind of do this in a different way. And the first one is the key one. And it's what I call the discovery of your core gifts. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? That means a kind of radical authenticity. Picture a target, like a kind of target with a bullseye in the middle. So if you imagine that the closer you get in toward the center, the closer you're getting toward your humanity, your true authentic self, 
the place where you hurt, the place where you shine, the place where you care, the place where you have needs, the kind of beating heart of your humanity, which is not an easy place to live in. It takes an ongoing journey of being able to bear the heat, the need, the love, the effusiveness, the vulnerability, the sensitivity of those parts of ourselves. But we can do that little by little. And the key is this, that the parts that we have tended to be most awkward or timid to reveal are where our greatest beauty lies and where our deepest magnetism lies. Those parts need to be cultivated and honored and they need to be named. So in the intensives, we spend three of the six months naming these parts of ourselves by looking at what in your relationships and your interactions with the world hurts you. Mm -hmm. Even if it's tiny like paper cut hurts that you don't even notice at first, like what are the things that hurt you? Mm. What if you could dignify those instead of thinking I just need to be tougher? Like what if you could think, oh, this hurt me for a reason. Mm -hmm. What is it I need that I'm not getting? What felt not seen in me? And what can I ask for so that that could be different? And how does that connect to the most beautiful parts of me? And then what are the things that fill my heart in sex, in love, in intimacy, in communication? What are the things that make me feel that kind of joy and fulfillment? That's what we want. And those are connected to our core gifts. So by answering those two questions again and again, what hurts my heart? and what fills my heart, and then dignifying your answers and thinking this connects to the best parts of me. When we start to do that, we reorganize ourselves around self-honoring. And when we do that, a couple things happen. One thing that happens, which is like almost miraculous, is we start being attracted to people who are better for us. Yeah. The other thing is we start attracting people who are better for us. This is kind of a miracle, but it also makes sense because we are organizing around authenticity and love instead of organizing around all these defensive fixes that we get told to do. And when we do that, we shine. We shine with a light that is our personal light. And the people that are looking for someone like us will notice that, will recognize that, will resonate with it. And the big, big scale, that's like the key here. So I don't know if I ever told you this, Ken, but I feel like you did change my outlook with this. We had Ken a long time ago on our sounding board. And I remember for years, I thought being, you know, emotional and sensitive were issues like that was getting in the way of my dating. And I've realized that like on the flip side of that is that, you know, I'm able to be passionate. I'm able to love deeply. I'm able to open my heart up and really feel. And I think having that flip was so instrumental. Like what are some other things that you see with some of the people you work with that people go in being like, this is getting in the way. And then how do you start to see like the positives of it? Oh, that's like the question. I love that question. But what I want to say first is those gifts are exactly what you're doing here now. Those gifts yeah. are the very fuel of all that you're giving and all that the two of you are doing here. So mm-hmm. sometimes we get to do it a little more easily in our professional life than our personal life. Like I know the parts <laughs> of me that I was most ashamed of as a gay man in this world were my sensitivity, my vulnerability, mm. but my clients wanted that. Mm, that is funny. That helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not as personal when it's work, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. Like an artist can maybe do great commercial art, but when they're touching their fine art, you know, it's like harder, it's scarier. Mm, It's different. But in answer to your question, 
some of the key things that people think, well, how the hell is that a gift? That's a Mm -hmm. big one. Like you're longing for connection, for real connection. People are ashamed of that all the time. And don't you think like culturally, there's this thing of like, God forbid you're too earnest. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't be needy. But here's a formula that need shamed turns into neediness. Need honored turns into dignity. Ooh, that's good. Oh, can you say that again (laughs) for (laughs) the people in the back? Need shamed turns into neediness. We press it down, we press it down, but the ache gets bigger and bigger. And then it kind of like explodes out usually in an embarrassing and awkward way that you don't feel great about afterwards. Need honored brings us dignity. Mm. There's a sense of dignity to who we are when we lead with that. And that's why I tell everybody that there is one central question that their entire search for love should be framed around. Of course, you need to be attracted, the logistics need to work and all, but the key question, the question that we should actually center and define our entire journey around is, does my soul feel safe with this person? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. And then when that becomes the question, people feel our dignity. And then the other thing that happens is that's how we develop a secure attachment style because our deep insights know that we're finally going to be taken care of so they can begin to relax. Mm -hmm. We don't need to protect ourselves with an armor. We can protect ourselves with our spine, with our dignity. And that's why this journey heals our heart. Need is a really, really big one. People are like, how is that a core gift? Mm -hmm. It's people that really need connection that nurture connection. Mm -hmm. And that's how it's a core gift. The people who are really sensitive to connection and the importance and the quality of connection, yeah, they can get in a lot of trouble. They can get shamed a lot. They can be told that they're too much or all of that. And that does happen to us. Those of us who care about connection like that are the ones who take the time to build it, to nurture it, to create it. And John Gottman's research shows that it's the couples that are like super sensitive sensitive to when there were breaks in their connection, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like letting it roll off their back. Those are the happiest, most successful couples. The ones that are like, oh, something didn't feel right. Let's look at this. They actually do the best in the long run. Mm. So that's one, like the need for connection. That's one of the examples. You know, some core gifts are obvious, like a generosity of spirit or a joy, but need is one that people don't necessarily see as a gift. A need for safety, Mm -hmm. that's another really big one. Like people feel feel like ashamed, like, what am I just too sensitive? Am I like too much of a snowflake? We shame Mm -hmm. ourselves in all these different ways. It's the people who really care about safety that care about creating environments that are safe, that care when there's one person in the group that is not feeling safe and they can see it. So these are deep core gifts, but they're like sensitivities that are bigger than normal. We're outside the bell curve. And that's where our greatest gifts often lie is outside the bell curve. Another one is ferocity, a kind of fierceness, Mm. like fierceness for truth. Mm. That's one that people get really shamed by. So if you're someone who really cares about truth, you will make people uncomfortable. (laughs) You will. So we have to cultivate a sense of like why that love of truth is actually a worthy thing and that that fierceness is something that probably most people won't know what to do with. But the people who do are our people. And there's just one other thing I want to say about this is when you take a core gift and you shame it, it acts out. 
just like with children, just, mm-hmm. you know, like with everyone. So it acts out either by suppressing itself, which is a masochism, or it acts out by like lashing out, which can get us in trouble. Then we feel like, oh, this part of me, it's just too much. But the more we learn to honor it, the less strident it becomes, the less ashamed it becomes, the more it gets like equalized and we get to be these amazing people that actually integrate it. So when you do that stuff, you will be like this wisdom dater. You will have a power, you will have a beauty. Most people it won't work with, but that's okay. Because when you have your eyes set on what you want, you really save time. And it makes so much sense with the examples you're giving, but I am struggling with how do you differentiate what is a core gift versus something you're working towards or working on? So personal example is this radical independence I have. I've had it ever since I was a little kid where I don't ask for help. I don't need people. I don't express the need. And in partnerships, that drives a wedge or drives too much space in between. So I could embrace that as a core gift and say that makes me unique. But it could also be something that I could say, I want to work on that to not be my core gift anymore. How would you differentiate the two? Here's how I would frame it. You're describing something that's really innate to your character, to your self-organization, to your being, right? And it's like, it's a love of freedom and independence and a fierce need for that. Mm -hmm. So if you don't see that first and foremost as a treasure, as a gift, because it's like the language of you Mm -hmm. in the world, it's who you are. If you don't, you will self-sabotage. So always the first step is the honoring. Always. You have to honor that and treasure that because that is so much a part of who you are. It's how you come up with the questions that you come up with. So the first step is always the celebration of it. It's almost Pride Month. And this is like, you know, something that queer people go through is like, okay, I mean, I went through this. I'm 66. So it was surrounded by like, you know, all of this psychiatric kind of model where I would like sit on the library floor at 12 years old and say, say, oh shit, I have a close binding mother and a distant father. That's why I'm gay. Obviously, I have both of those. (laughs) And it was true. (laughs) So I had the deepest reason not to honor the fact that I was gay, but I ultimately realized that would never work. The issues that came with my close binding mother and my distant father were all issues I had to work on being gay in the world. They absolutely were. But I had to start with an honoring of who I was. So that's my thought there in that rawness in that imperfection and in that beauty of your independence, we have to start with that molten self, you know, and honor that and treasure that. Then secondarily, our biggest insecurities surround our deepest gifts because we get the most triggered there. We don't have the language to honor it and express it and share it. And, you know, my guess is that in your journey, you have learned more and more in your relationships to make space for that where you need to make space for it and find ways to ask for it in ways that aren't shaming of you or the other person. And that that's been a key for you. That's the journey of the starting with honoring because until we honor it, we can't bring it out of its immaturity. Edward Hallowell, the guy who does all the great work on ADHD, he said the two things you need to have a healthy kid are they need to have a felt sense that you enjoy them and you need to teach them mastery. So your core gifts first and foremost need to feel loved by you and dignified and honored. Then we work on the mastery of those skills. Does that answer the question? Yes. Yes. I think it does, but I have a follow on it. 
how do you be comfortable with who you are and be like, I am who I am versus I know I need to compromise in a relationship and meet the other person's needs too. Like, how do you balance that? Because I mean, I struggle with this too. It's like, there's some parts that you're like, you should love me for who I am. But then other times you're like, Mm -hmm. actually, no, I should adapt and take into account someone a little more. Like, I don't think it's an either or. So I'm curious your thought process. I mean, I totally agree with that. I totally agree. And that I just see as an art. That's like this ongoing art. I remember I was dating a guy and he was going to make dinner for us. And I am someone who likes to sleep in on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So he said, all right, in order for me to do this, I need to go food shopping, but we need to like leave at like 4.30 in the morning (laughs) to like get there. And I said, absolutely not. Like, no way, no way. And I talked to, it was actually my therapist at the time. And she said, he's not going to spend the whole day cooking. Like, why don't you give in? Why don't you just give in and wake up really early? And I thought, wow, that makes sense. And I did. And I leaned into it and it was very sweet. And he made a fabulous meal for everybody. That was like an example of that. That was not my inclination. My inclination was to be authentic to myself and say, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, no, no, I just don't do that. (laughs) So yeah, it's such an ongoing journey. And I think if you're with someone and you feel in general that you both really care about the other one's well-being, it's easier to bend in that regard. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the key. It's like knowing yourself and the gifts that you have, but also being able to recognize like when you don't want to just adapt to appease the person, but adapt because you want to build a relationship with them. Yeah. This is something I find is that when I meditate, I often will think, oh, why don't I just soften up a little about that and compromise? But it comes naturally. It comes as a gift because I have a tendency to harden around the things that I want that feel like they might be threatened Mm. in a relationship. That's a really good point. The space, sometimes taking exactly. that space. Yes, yes. That's exactly it, especially for a lot of our listeners who may have been single for a while. I think many people know their core gifts and maybe don't want to budge around their core gifts. And me thinking in this conversation is thinking about, it's not so much about budging or sacrificing, but it's about how do we keep evolving these core gifts, and they could look a little different, right? It could look different with different people, 100%. depending on who you're around. So it's good to have that flexibility. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. And I mean, that's, to me, the beauty of a conscious dating journey is that you say, oh, like you soften or you get insights, and then you follow those insights. To me, that's why conscious dating heals our lives and leads us more quickly to love. Like if you think back on those aha moments where you had an insight that helped you love better and love deeper. Those are gold. Those are gold, you know, and we want to cultivate that. Yeah. And I think there is clearly a line to someone might fall for you because you have your own life. You have things going on. They might appreciate that. But the line might be that you have no time to spend with them ever and you're always doing your own thing. So I think that even though like we could look at a core gift, I think sometimes we tend to look at it holistically, but it's like, how do we dial it down to what is the gift here versus what is actually getting in the way of me having the relationship I want? Right, exactly. And if you don't start out with the honoring of the gift, if you don't start out with that, your gift will feel protective defensive and unprotected. Mm -hmm. That's why it's always so good to, you know, you put the mask on yourself first in the airplane. Like we start with kind of the Mm -hmm. self-honoring and then we can be generous. But until then, we're not going to be generous. We're going to be tight. 
And I want to remind our listeners what we're talking about here, because I want to circle back to initial question, which was what is getting in your way and what isn't? And what we're talking about here is it's not about the deficiencies that people have, because people often go to that is I'm not this enough. I'm not this, you know, I am not at this point in my life. I have many examples of what they're not. But what you're saying here, Ken, is let's go to what we are, embrace those, honor those, and use those to guide us instead of thinking about roadblocks. Here's like the guiding light for us to get to the people who are suitable for us. So when people have these thoughts of deficiencies, which is natural, what is some advice you've given to people to not have that be that first knee-jerk reaction? Well, you know, one thing I would say is in, in writing my book, Deeper Dating, I did a lot of research. I talked to a lot of people, a lot of couples, and in my life doing this work, and I imagine in your life doing this work, I've seen people fall in love at 90 years old and have the great love of their life. I know someone who contracted AIDS and had been single forever, and it was only when he got AIDS that he fell in love for the first time. Mm. I know of someone who was a quadriplegic who fell in love with someone who did not have those challenges, and it happened because of the work that he did. So I think that I think that the thing to remember is it's not this linear model. It is not so much a numbers game. It is not so much that you have this and this and this and this and this is what you need to you know, be on the A-list. It is not those things. There's some deeper physics here that really, really works. And that's why people who are like smoking hot, wildly gorgeous have less success often in finding love. Right. And it's actually people who are more in the range of average looking that have the most success in finding love. It's not because of those things. It's that other factors are at work. So I think that that's just something that we all really need to remember. And the other thing is, it's really true that different people are attracted to different types of people. And yeah. some amazing people are really comfortable being with someone who have a lot of challenges going on in their life. They've been unemployed for a period of time or whatever. There are people who are there for that. They have wide shoulders. Not that you want to like live in that state permanently, but wherever you are, as long as if you've got an unstabilized psychiatric disorder, a serious one, you got to work on that. If you have an addiction, a serious addiction, you got to work on that. This won't work. These ideas won't work. Nothing will hold until those things are addressed. But outside of that, whatever your situation is, your employment situation, your age, your weight, where you live, those things are actually less important. Mm -hmm. It's this combination of self-honoring plus bravery and getting out there. And let me just say one more thing. Go to environments with people who share your values mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that will speed the process enormously. I think that is definitely a lesson I've learned along the way in culture and society tells you that you need to be a certain way and you can really start to get in your head on that. But what I'm hearing from you is like everyone is dateable. Like maybe there's certain people that need to address things, but even if they do address them, they can still be dateable. So there's no one out there that is not dateable as long as you honor and do the work for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people are attracted to different people, different body types, different ages. There's this fantasy that there's only one type that is the most attractive. That's so not true. That's like an amazing thing about the world is that different people are attracted to different people. So a big yes. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. 
Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's good to hear. We know that, right? I have a friend who's definitely attracted to a certain type that I would never fathom (laughs) to be attracted to. She really loves taking care of people. She really loves them to be unemployed and very dependent on her. And for the longest time, I was just like, wow, these guys are so lucky because they found someone who really wants to take care of them. You're right. Like the universe works in very mysterious ways of how it links people up together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very beautiful that way. And it's wonderful to think about that. But to know that, how do we innately start doing the work to embrace our core gifts and to know that we're dateable? And to Julie's point, if we're all dateable, it comes from the inside out. You have to really feel like you are first. What is that first step to feeling dateable? On the broadest level, I think the thing to do if you want to go on this journey of dating more consciously, learning self-love, is to find an approach and a paradigm that makes sense to you and that feels like it has wisdom. Don't try to do it alone. There's all of this material out there. There are all of these coaches. There's all of this written material. There's so, so, so much. Look for what really rings true to you and then follow that, but don't follow it alone. Have a coach, have a learning partner, have someone that you do it with, have someone that you can live through the joys and the frustrations and the bewilderments with. So those are two general global things that I would say. In the approach that I teach, which is only one of many, this core gift work is the first step. And it's saying, I am going to learn to see what is my language of living in the world. What is my language of love? What is my language of sexuality? What are the things that fill my heart? What are the things that hurt my heart? And I'm going to dignify that and name. I'm going to name and distill these qualities that are essentially me that probably I have not honored enough. And now I'm realizing that the more that I honor them, the happier I'll be, the richer my life will be, and the more likely I'll be to be able to find and sustain love. I think that's the first step. And, you know, like I said, I spend half of the intensive just on that. I spend a huge portion of my book. Actually, my book, Deeper Dating, will guide people through this step-by-step process of naming and discovering your core gifts, learning to honor them. That's step one. Step two, then, is to become a student of your own attractions. Mm. Worry a hell of a lot less about how to make yourself more attractive and think a lot more about your patterns of attraction. 
attraction, mm. who you're attracted to, mm. because we can't force our attractions, but we can educate them. So that's really, really rich. And here's an amazing thing that goes with that. There's been a certain negative type that you have like, if you look back, there's been like a certain kind of quality or two that have been deprivational that you've seen again and again. Those directly link to a core gift you have not learned to fully honor. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Could you show an example or tell a story or something that could tie that together? Is that so big? A really good example would be a very sensitive person, someone who has real, like a highly sensitive person. So that's a core gift. Their antenna for feeling is like very, very, very sophisticated, very sensitive, very aware. So they feel joy, they feel pain, they feel overstimulated really easily. You know, all those things that go with being a highly sensitive person. If you don't know how to honor that, and to me, it's not enough to accept these things. They have to be treasured. They have to be seen as your genius. You got to be able to look at those qualities like you, what's the genius in your independence? What is the genius in your love of freedom? We have to know what that is. We have to know what that is. So when we don't do that, we will be attracted to people who tell us we're oversensitive and step on our sensitivity and tell us we're too much and say like, oh God, you got a lot of baggage, you know, or I, I don't have the bandwidth for all this high maintenance stuff. When you learn to honor this, you find a better language for it. But you also, then if you're asking this question, does my soul feel safe with this person? You're not going to stay with somebody like that. Right. And as that happens, this miraculous thing happens where you start losing your taste for people like that. And you start like developing a taste for people that don't do that. It's an amazing thing. So that's an example of that. But now I'll tell you my story that goes back to this other thing. It's um, a little bit vulnerable, but I will share. So at one point in my many, 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 many years of singlehood, I was at a huge dance club dancing with my shirt off with like thousands of other men. And I was really pretty buff at the time. I had worked really hard because that was the currency of the realm was, you know, being buff. So I was really buff. And I like just thought I would have no problem at all. Like I was just at the height of my buffness. <laughs> so there I am with thousands of people and I'm interacting with all these different people and no one is interested. No one, thousands of people. And I knew I couldn't look any better. Like this was it, this was it. And I felt such a profound sense of deflation, such a profound sense of deflation. Yeah. And I went to my dear friend who was like a guide. He was like my dating mentor at this time because he was really good at it. And I said, all right, I'm going to like tell you about this. And I fucking dare you to say anything that's going to make me feel one drop better because <laughs> there is nothing. This is reality. This is living proof. <laughs> Something is missing. And this is what he said. He said, so look at the guys, Ken. Every single guy has a shaved chest. Every single guy is buff and smooth and hairless because this is like what people do. Mm -hmm. You are not. You have never done that. You are like one of the only guys with like a really, really hairy chest. I'm Russian. I'm, you know, he said, so you don't really fit in here. But if you went to an event for like bears or people that liked hairy chest mm. guys, you would Killing be it. surrounded. <laughs> 
And I said, oh, shit, you just said something that made me feel better. I didn't even know that there could be anything that made me feel better. And I found out he was right. Mm. I found out he was right. That's just one example. So, like, surround yourself with people that appreciate you is really what I'm getting. I mean. Yes, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's in a very physical sense. Like, there are people that are going to be attracted to your type. Ah. But you're in an environment where people are not necessarily attracted to your type. I had never thought of that. I thought there was no way he could say anything to get me out of this pit of pain. Yeah. And that goes so much further than physical, too. Yes. I thought you were going to say that he was going to tell you it was a straight club, which also would make sense. <laughs> oh, you're just, oh, <laughs> yes, yes, right. You're like, no one here is attracted. <laughs> Have you all seen this meme on Instagram that keeps circulating? It's this story about how this father passes down this coin to his daughter and says, before I give this to you, make sure you go sell it and find the best value for it. So she goes to like a pawn shop and the pawn shop's like, this is worth nothing. I'll give you five bucks she goes to like a coin store and they're like this is nothing i'll give you like 10 bucks and she goes to this finally this like antique shop who recognizes this is a rare coin from a rare you know kind of a rare collection it's like this is worth five million dollars and the moral of the story is you want to go where people find value in you. And some people may not do that. And why would you want to be around someone who just thinks, oh, you're just another coin that's worth nothing, right? That is an amazing story of chills that really like captures so much of this conscious journey. That is great. So I have a question for you, Ken. Like we talked earlier about the two questions you can ask yourself to understand your core gifts. Yeah. What other ways do you go about understanding them? And then how do you move from understanding to celebrating? Yeah. Okay. So here's what happens. And this is something that I have witnessed, you know, from doing now 17 intensives where I work, because when I do one-on-one therapy, which I don't do anymore, I've closed my practice, but it's not linear. Whereas in the intensives, we follow up this curriculum. So what I have seen for people is that the very act of naming these qualities and celebrating them and cherishing, like doing a lot of work to say, what is the beauty in this? What is the genius in this? What is the value in this? How does it feel when you're in a relationship that deprives that quality of oxygen, yeah. that steps on it, that neglects? It's really important to know the shitty, terrible taste of being in that kind of relationship and like what it does to your sense of self and where it makes you go and how familiar that is. It's really important not to run from that, but to remember what that tastes like so you could become finally as allergic to that taste as you really need to be. So that act of thinking like, what does it feel like in me? What do I tell myself? What is that place where this part of me is being dishonored? And then what's it like when that part is being celebrated? Like with those precious people that this part of you can come to life? What's that like? Who do you become when that happens? We need to ask ourselves these questions to re-educate ourselves. And then the remembering of the relationships where that's there and the relationships where these parts of us got stepped on. And as we do that, we actually start becoming allergic Mm -hmm. to people that step on those qualities. It actually starts happening. The other thing that starts happening is we start noticing the people who honor these qualities. And solid research shows that when somebody meets an important goal of yours, you'll be more likely to notice them and be attracted to them. 
things begin to shift. You just get sick of those other kind of things. You lose your taste for them and you start developing this taste for this new kind of person. So I think that it's like this journey that happens kind of organically, but because it's so profound and it involves such a deep reorganization, it's best not to do it alone. It's too hard to do it alone. So I totally hear you on all of that. I think the part that I'm still struggling with though is like, what is the line? Because like, I know even for me, for example, like my partner fully embraces that I'm emotional, that I share what's going on for my needs and, you know, very communicative that way. But then sometimes I feel like maybe it can be too much. Like not saying that like I am too much and I never said that, but like sometimes I do feel like I need to regulate my emotions more and that is work I need to do. hundred percent. So I see it as a strength and I think he sees it as a strength too. And it's not like he's saying you need to regulate your emotions, but I've learned that from doing therapy and couples therapy and all the works is that to maintain this, and this is work I need to do. So it's how do you recognize the core gift, but then also recognize the further work that you need to honor the gift and have people honor the gift, but also not to overstep the gift. Right. And to modulate that gift and also to develop its complement. We always need to develop the complement to our gift. So if we're generous, we need to also learn how to say no. Mm. If we're very sensitive, we need to learn how to self-regulate like you've described. So, you know, again, that's like such a yes. I think, again, the first step is always to honor. Mm -hmm. Just like with a child, when you're trying to change behavior, you want to honor who they are, but then there's a need to change behavior. And then I guess the other piece is just to really remember that our deepest immaturities revolve around our greatest gift. So mm. all of us need to then ask, mm. what do I have to learn here? What are the skills that I don't have yet? What are the skills that never got developed because I didn't start out honoring this enough? So I developed defenses instead of skills. Yeah, right. There's so much to unpack there. But I think what yeah. I'm seeing from this is just how important it is to hone in on this. And instead of just push it away is what we typically do or say, like, I need to do self-improvement and focus right. another area. Ken, what are some of your core gifts that you've recently discovered where it came from some of your immaturities or sensitivities? Yeah, well, I'll tell you one that I've been working on recently. There are two things that are difficult parts of my personality that I have been regularly unhappy with. And have shame around and have just felt like these are really, you know, character defects. And so I have been thinking, what is the core gift there? And it's taken work, but I feel like I've come to what they are. So I'll give those as two examples. Okay. And they're kind of really opposing things. So I'm going to start out with what I experience as a deficit first, and then describe the gift Yes. in both of these sides. So the deficit that I have lived with for a really long time is a kind of timidity, a timidity that I have where I might be guilt-driven and afraid to speak my truth. I might be worried and ashamed that what I say won't be received. I might be worried about being too much. All these different things kind of have kept me timid in ways that have hurt me. They've hurt me in multiple realms of my life because I also have a strong personality. It pisses me off to be timid like that and then <laughs> not say what I want and then afterwards say, why didn't I? That, you know. So conflicting. So conflicting. Yeah. So there's, you know, that timidity has been a problem because it hasn't been authentic. It's been guilt driven and shame driven and fear driven. 
embarrassing, awkward, not thrilled about it. What's the gift here? What is the gift here? And is it all a gift? No, it's a matrix. It's like a matrix of gifts and wounds. That's like what it means to be human. It's not strengths and weaknesses. It's this matrix of gifts and wounds. So those are the wound places that I describe. But the gift is that I also have an innate quality of humility. There is a way that I have a humility that gives people space. And that's a soul gift. That is a real quality. I have a power animal. <laughs> I've done work around like, what is my power animal? It's a sparrow. It's a little tiny brown sparrow. Huh. There is a way that humility speaks to me so deeply and so profoundly. That's the gift there. The timidity, the shame, the guilt. I couldn't call those gifts. I would call those wounds. Mm. But they come mm. from the same matrix. Because if I was organized differently, I would default toward more arrogance. Ah. You know, but because this core gift yes. of humility is there, I defaulted around that. So that's one. And the other is a need for attention, which is another thing that really embarrasses me. So how is that a core gift? The need for attention? <laughs> like, I don't like it when I'm not getting attention. I need a lot of attention. This is like, how am I going to be proud of that? Well, the core gift, if I think of it as a matrix of gifts and wounds, mm -hmm. the core gift is I'm a teacher and I got a lot to say. Yeah. And I'm bursting with that. And there's a need for an arena for that. That's the core gift. Does it discount the fact that that need for attention can actually be a problem that I have had to work on and do have to work on? Absolutely. So these are examples of how it ends up being a picture of humanity. But if I can't treasure my humility, I don't know who I am and I don't see the beauty mm. in those timid qualities. And if I can't honor like the power of my expressing, I'll just think that my need for attention is nothing more than a problem and an immaturity. I think that just hit this whole conversation home for me yeah. of the matrix of the wounds and yeah. the gifts. I think that is what we've been trying to like, you know, kind of unpack a little more of like, what's the line of being like, I'm awesome versus yes. I have some work I need to do, you yeah. know? And mm -hmm. I think that that is it. Like that is the way to look at it and how much of this is coming from, you know, instead of saying like, I need to just forget this side of me. It's really owning it and taking it. And I love your thoughts on this, but I'm starting to connect the dots of authenticity. As we started this conversation of, yes. you know, you're just told to be authentic, but what does that actually mean? Right. And I think authenticity comes from understanding yourself, the good and the parts that need improvement. I don't want to say the bad, but we're all works in progress. And being able to tell someone too, like, this is my need, but also, okay, I understand like this might be coming from a wound and I need your support and I need to like have patience with me as we work through this. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. The takeaway for me is this. We can be in therapy for 24 hours a day for 10 years. And if we're not doing the work, we're not going anywhere. All we're doing is just reiterating who we are, but not doing the work does not help us get to what we want. I had a conversation with a friend last night and she's like, you know, nowadays because therapy is just so trendy, people love putting on their dating profiles. I'm in therapy. I've been in therapy for years. But the real question is, and I encourage everyone to ask this on dates, is what are you currently working on? It's a journey-driven question. It shows that we're all works in progress, but also it shows the progress. People have who can answer this question have been thinking about what are my core gifts and what is the work that I'm doing. I love that you've painted this picture of a P 
pure human experience. And I hope that we all know that we're just walking matrices <laughs> and we're complex. We are all so complex and there is no black and white to what we are, but there is the gifts and the trauma and the wounds that we've all carry with us. So I hope this creates just more empathy for all of us when we engage with each other, especially on dates. You don't know what someone's going through, but you can always ask. Yeah. And you can always take someone along for the ride. And in a partnership, these are wonderful questions and discussion points totally. with your partner to talk about. Yeah. You know, what, what do you think are my core gifts? These <laughs> are what I think your core gifts are. And how can we encourage more of this, celebrate this and honor this even more? So thank you for bringing that to the forefront of this entire conversation. It's mm -hmm. it's just this human experience is complex. The most we can do is just help each other along the journey. And what you said, I think, captures the way we want to be able to do this. Because knowing this, then the question becomes, how do you hold that matrix? Mm -hmm. Can you hold it with kind hands? Can you hold your matrix with the gifts mm -hmm. in a way where, in an essential way, the gifts first feel celebrated. And then the work mm -hmm. has to come. The work comes second, like that holding so that the innate parts of you feel treasured and honored, but also respected, like now you get to do the skill building work, which is, you know, that's a deep self-respect to be able to say that to yourself. Yeah, now I need to do that kind of work. And, you know, what you described, as you just said, those are the skills that are going to help you keep love alive when you're in a relationship. I mean, we touched on it. I think needs is something we feel very strongly. I know personally, I did not express my needs for years. And when I finally did, that was what changed my love life. Um, and we could go into like a whole conversation about needs. But I think at the end of the day, our core gifts, you know, you said they do stem from our needs. Mm -hmm. And it's sharing that, appreciating that with a partner. Of course, if they are just like, I can't meet these needs or I don't appreciate your core gifts, then that's not the right partner for you. We need to know that, right? Yeah. But yeah. then there's also going to be a lot of gray area, too, where, like we we're saying with the matrix, some part is a core gift that's very much appreciated. Some parts might be detrimental to the relationship. So how do you work on this and just keep the open conversation? But the only way to do that is knowing yourself. If like you don't even know your core gifts or your wounds, like how do you even have that conversation? Right. You just either dismiss everyone or you spend time with the wrong people. And that's a really important point. Because until you have words for your needs, you will create walls, mm -hmm. what's called primitive defenses. In other words, your deep psyche knows you're not going to be able to take care of it. Mm -hmm. So it puts up a wall because it knows you're not going to be able to take care of it. Yeah. And so then the more that we do just what you described of being able to honor, self-treasure, find a way to express our needs. Until we do that, our psyche will put up a wall. It will not let us choose healthy people or stay with them right. because it won't be safe because we won't be able to take care of ourselves. When that deep inner part of ourselves begins to relax because we're doing the work that you just described, it's a beautiful unfolding that happens. I think the last like final takeaway I had, you hit it of safety. This is not something that's talked about in terms of right. qualities you're looking at in a relationship. It's like, oh, are they six feet? Are they, you know, went to this college? It's like, who cares if you don't feel safe with them? God, that is so yeah. important and so undervalued. Huge, and huge. I, yeah. 
And like, I think from doing this podcast for years, I was in my head and doing the mental checklist of all the criteria. And then when I finally got into like feeling in my body, that's when things changed for me. And I think for so long, you think of feeling like, oh, I just want to like feel the highs of a relationship. Yeah, yeah. But most of it is like, do I feel safe and secure with this person? It is because yeah. then we get to flower. Then we get to be yeah. radical. Then we get to take yes. risks. Yes. And when you feel safe and you can take risks with your authenticity, Authenticity, it's scary, but that scariness builds Eros so intensely, mm. especially if your partner can hold that and appreciate mm -hmm. it. Like that builds Eros fiercely. Ken, every time we talk to you, I just want to grab a fuzzy blanket and just sit in a corner and journal. And <laughs> I feel absolutely taken care of in this conversation. Oh. Thank you for doing that. You always have this magical way of yes. providing that for people, providing the safety <laughs> for people to feel how they feel. So thank you for that. If people want to find out more about you or even to work with you, where can they find that information? Sure. So one of the quickest, easiest ways is just to go to deeperdatinggifts.com. And there you'll get like a collection of an audio meditation, a personal journal for this work, and a beautiful ebook. You can also go to deeperdatingpodcast.com. In both of those cases, if you sign up for my mailing list, you get those gifts and you get to hear about my events that I do and the workshops that I do and my intensives, which are for small groups of people. And I only do them a few times a year. And of course, on all social media, under either Deeper Dating or Ken Page. That is definitely your core gift is. <laughs> <laughs> you're the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Look at all those well, gifts you're giving just from your website. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. And you know, I got to say, like speaking with the two of you is such a joy because you are such intrepid adventurers and documenters and explorers of this wild <laughs> terrain. Like you're people that I just keep coming back to for what you do. And I'm excited that I'm going to get to interview you too yes. and hear yes. kind of you your big key insights and takeaways from all the work you've been doing. So it's just very mutual admiration society. Oh, oh warm and fuzzies all around. <laughs> final thank you for you. Final thank you for our listeners for coming along for this lovely journey. For all of you, if you're just feeling inclined, you're feeling like you want to share the love, Give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Maybe tell us what you learned the most in this episode or tell us what your core gifts are. Wouldn't that be a great exercise for you all to do right now? Just identify one core gift and write that in your review. We'll read them on air for our next upcoming episodes. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay, Stay dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast and visit datablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, stay dateable. Stay dateable.